Welcome to Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm doing fantastically well, Jody. How are you doing? Well, that's a very big introduction for you because usually you're not fantastically well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've had my coffee this morning, so I'm ready to go. So you're raring. You're like antsy to go. Yeah, I, well, and and you know I get to hang out with you, albeit virtually here for for a bit. So, uh, well, that's things, always a lovely thing, isn't it? I think, I think so. so. I think so yeah. too. Yes, yeah, uh, you know I I, I want to kick this off a little bit real quick uh, with the the fact that last week we had announced that the website had gotten an update, mm-hmm. and things were about. Well, I think I said somewhere around ninety. Six percent, ninety-eight percent, somewhere in that range of being completely like, yeah, done. Mm-hmm. And now the website can be ding, 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 one hundred percent. Ring the bell, done. And I have to go and give a shout out to a Mister Benjamin Layton, who answered a desperation call in a sense on my yeah. end of a Facebook post that I posted, <laughs> and he he wanted to take a look at some of the code that we had, and while. We initially were looking at it immediately after he answered the call. He was very close on what needed to be done, but yeah. it wasn't a hundred percent. And then he could, he, he told me, give me tomorrow and I will look through it and we'll solve it. And of course he forgets to tell me <laughs> and then the following evening he goes, Oh, by the way, I fixed it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And I go and I look at the website and it's like, oh, bing. It's now exactly how we were hoping it would go. And it's lovely. It looks sharp. It loads real fast. And you should, as a listener, go to inside the recording studio.com and bask in the glory that we have of our now completed website. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. For that. That, so that's... thank you, Benjamin Layton, for that. That was awesome of you. And, uh, it, you know, uh, in addition to that, we've got the email list up and running and mm-hmm. it's working. So that's also really fine and fancy and handy dandy. <laughs> so yeah. if you sign up and you go to inside the recording studio.com forward slash gift, or actually you don't have to go to the gift page, but uh, anywhere you sign up for the email list on, on the website, you will get a little bonus of four presets from Chris. And I think I did four presets from myself and I might've thrown in an extra one just because, and those four presets from Chris are for slate Mm -hmm. type plugins and the presets that I gave you, which were all very organized and handy dandy collected together are for universal audio plugins. So you get four of each of our favorite presets for things that we use when we do mixes, if you sign up on the email list. So there you have it. Bing, bang, boom. And based on my kind of trying to do a Tarzan-y kind of thing this morning, uh, the episode that we are doing today is all about reverb. If you didn't Mm -hmm. actually click on the link and you just kind of started listening, uh, yes, we are going to talk about an overview of reverb and we must give a nice shout out to, uh, one of our listeners by the name of Chris Bjorn, who does do mixing and some producing as well. He contacted us and said, Hey, would you guys talk about reverb? (laughs) And we were like, Hey, that's not a bad idea. So 
Here we go. And we share the we share the same name, so we had to do it. That's right. right. You know, Chris and Chris. So there you have there you it. Go. So and you're both kind of got Swedish last names. <laughs> Bjorn's well, kind well, of Swedish, is it not? It's about as Swedish as it gets. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to kick it off. We're going to start talking about reverb. And uh, Chris, do yes. the honors, please. Um. Yeah, reverb. I think it's one of those effects that um, we like to start using when we first start out in this this sort of like mixing and engineering because the effect is immediate. We can hear exactly what it is that we're doing. Like, yeah, it's really, really cool. Um, you know, for a second there, I thought the cat got your brain. <laughs> oh, really? No. Like, Wait a well, minute. What am I talking about? I don't know. <laughs> Uh, no, as usually, cat just got my tongue because oh, my mind goes quicker than my mouth sometimes. Um, but no, I think reverb obviously is one of those things that I think it's really, really easy to overdo. But it's one of those things that you immediately hear and it sounds nice and sweet and sexy. And it's um, it can certainly um, do wonders for what it is that we're doing if we're doing it right. So, uh, um, sure. I, I can yeah. agree with most of that. <laughs> yeah. What, what can't you agree with? <laughs> I don't know if it's necessarily sexy, but it can certainly give a nice shine to something. And I guess shine can make things sexy. So I can get there logically speaking. Yeah. No, what I'm, what I mean to say is like, it's one of those things that when, um, as soon as you slap a reverb on something, you hear the effects of that right away, as opposed to, when you're trying to come to grips with uh, and how an EQ works or how a compressor works or something like that, that might not be uh, as obvious first until you sort of tune your ears to the effect and learning how to use that the, that particular piece of sure, kit. Sure, that makes a better. I think that's a better description right there. Okay, well, I'm Much glad better. I went with that on there. the second try. Here, so. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the interesting thing about talking about reverb is there's only one song that I can think of in the history of recording that I've heard mm -hmm. where there was an explanation of all the different changes on the particular mix that you're getting, that you're listening to as the released version of a mix. Is that right? Yeah. And well, it goes that? through like the EQ and, and, and reverbs and everything else. That's a Steve Vai tune. I don't remember the exact name of the song, but it's off one of, I think around probably his fourth album or something like that, where the, as they're like, Getting ready, you hear Steve come in and they like click the button. We're going down like 0.5 on the pull tech. Like, oh, the oh I know. And it's like he's running like off all these things that they're changing for that particular mix that made the album. <laughs> that's that's off of uh, Passion and Warfare. There you go. Uh, yeah, yeah. And he goes, yeah, let's gate on the snare, two dB up on the pull tech, and we're mix whatever. Yes. We're rolling. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And, yeah, yeah. So, and uh, that's uh, the only song that I can think of in the history of recording where they actually tell you what version of the mix and what they did to it. Yeah. <laughs> right is uh, right up top. And that included, I think, reverb effects include, in, is included in that description it, it, of what they're talking. Yeah. And now I'm going to put myself on the line. I want to say, because I believe me, I have not listened to that in a minute, but I want to say that he's doing mix 12. Wow. Yeah. So anybody out there, that's that's the gold star. Yeah. 
Right. Okay. Gold star of the day. Mixed Gold well. star at insidetherecordingstudio.com. Go out, figure out what song it is on Passion and Warfare where that is. And mm-hmm. if it's if Chris is right, you put 12. If Chris is wrong, put in the, the, the number and we'll double check it. If I'm right, I should get a gold star. I yes, think. you should. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so take us into like some various types of reverbs that they, uh, they have out there. Cause one of them was actually just kind of mentioned in the Steve, I thing. Yeah. Um, well, they're different, obviously, like you said, different types of reverb that, that end up sounding differently. And, um, <laughs> the are one- you sure? To my ears, at least they do, yeah. Different types of reverbs that sound different from each other? Yeah, yeah. Um, They have different effects, yeah. The the caffeine is working magically. Overtime? Yeah. Uh, No, it's... it's, I'm just going to continue on with the podcast. go on, go on. (laughs) Well, we have plates. Um, Yes, plate reverb, that is. Right, plate reverb. We got room type of reverb. Yep. Chambers. Yes. Halls, yes, spring reverb, mm. and um, today, of course, we have IRs or impulse response. Well, that's not really a type of reverb, though. That that's a recreation of other types of reverb. Yes, but I I like to think of them as it's something that that we have now, which we didn't have the technology to do. I don't know what ten years ago. Maybe? Uh, well, I can't remember how. IRs have been around much longer than 10 years. But uh, one of the things I would say is maybe instead of IRs, Mm -hmm. algorithmic. Yeah. Because IRs – and the reason why I'm going to disagree with you on this is because IRs are a recreation of other types of reverb. They're not their own brand of reverb. Because an impulse no, specific response, types of reverb, yes. Right. So that's why, you know, when you say types of reverb, I would not necessarily lump IRs into that. But I would say algorithmic is a type. Yeah. But it's also okay. kind of recreating these other five that you've just mentioned. Plate, room, chamber, hall, spring. Right. But then, you know, you could, if you want to go down that road, we would have to, or we could split up things that when we're talking about room reverbs and chambers and in halls, future episodes down the road. (laughs) Right. But but I mean, but if that's the case, a lot of times we think of those, unless you're physically miking that type of environment. Yes. We are talking about algorithmic reverbs. We tend to think, or at least the way I think of them, it's like, okay, this is a room reverb. Uh, This is a hall. Uh, Unless it's a physically miked, space, those are generally algorithms. Algorithms, right, yes. And and that that's also a very fair point. I will take that in the head or the chin, wherever we want to plant that fist. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. uh, And and interestingly enough, I mean, one of the newest algorithmic reverbs that has happened in the last couple of years is the chroma verb that logic. If we're logic, yeah, yeah. So, uh, anyway, so... uh, But it's kind of interesting, as you're bringing that up, though, Mm -hmm. that it seems to be that, let's say, the last five years or so. Okay. um, I think we got a lot of um, new reverbs and products that were emulating older pieces of gear, just like we would with compressors and things like that. Oh, yeah. Where it's like, okay, this is like, this is like a Lexicon 480 or mm-hmm. whatever the happens to be. Right. And we got also a lot of the um, 
IR type of, of loaders, right? Yes. Where we have yep. like, like space designer in logic, for example. Um, Two notes, but it seems wall of sound. Yeah, all of all of those. And I'm going to mention a, a couple later on when we talk about even mix IR from uh, from Redwires is essentially an it's an impulse response. Respon- yeah, so thing, but it's meant for the, guitar yeah, the, cabinets, the, but you can run reverbs in it. Yeah, the the breadth of, of the scope of IRs so and what we can do with it is pretty astounding, really. But yes, um, altiverb. Yeah, but, the, but we're um, getting into like other uh, okay yeah, yeah types of reverb. Uh, so so right. let's get so back was, to this. Gonna, okay. Yeah, I was going to say that it seems like lately, the last couple of years, it seems to be a trend of recreating this sort of like less of real space and going back to a more of algorithmic type of reverse with you know the, the Bricasti, of course, being. Yep one of those right so i don't know if it's one of these trends where we're kind of following in the footsteps of greatness like str- stranger <laughs> things um but but there's a throwback to a lot of 80s type of music so the the idea to to recreate the sounds of those sort of reverbs seems to be on the uptick as well so. sure no and i i can agree with that um but anyway, let's let's discuss these different types real quick of what they are and how they work. So the first one you mentioned was plate reverb. Can yeah. you describe what a plate reverb actually is? Yes. Um, it is actually, I would say, almost like one of the first types of reverbs that we had, right? Where it's actually a suspended metal steel sheet. or beryllium, a metal sheet. Uh, suspended that you would send. I believe they worked on like sending a signal into it, making it vibrate, and then it was generating this sort of, um, well, echo really, or, or, or well, reverb. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> what that. we so, call reverb, yes. Yeah, so it was actually a physical thing that moved and created a sound that, that we, you know, found very pleasant, obviously. And uh, yes, usually in, encased in a giant box, depending on how big the plate was. Yeah, so which tend to be fairly sizable. Um, yep. And nope. it's – yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say moving on is a room – the room reverb is pretty standard, one would think, is you just – you have whatever size room and shape room that you have and you mm-hmm. throw a mic up in there and you throw a speaker up on some other portion of it and you run the sound through the speaker and you have the mic pick up the sound on the other end and it picks up whatever's happening inside the room and that's yeah. another feature of a reverb in fact uh if i'm not mistaken frank zappa had a very uh hall he had a mm-hmm. hall in his uh recording area or house whatever uh and he um Put a speaker on one end and had a mic on the other end, and that was his like infamous reverb for most of his recordings. I could be wrong on that, and somebody will obviously well it, <laughs> fact check it, me and tell me yeah, you, yeah, you could mean, be it, wrong. You are wrong, and you don't ever say it again. Um, <laughs> I feel like well, that scene it, from you know, <laughs> High Fidelity, <laughs> right? But even you know. If it turns out to be not true, it sounds like something that Frank Zappa would do, though, doesn't of course. it? You know, yeah. so. Um, but I think, yeah, I, that, well, that's where. And it's not ahead. just Frank Zappa that's doing it. Like no, when you're course. talking, when you get into the impulse response things, so we're kind of discombobulating the thing here. Uh, Altiverb, 
would go into yeah. stairwells and do the same thing. They would shoot a speaker down a stairwell inside, you know, like one of those giant stairwells and buildings that you go round and round in circles. So you go up and down stairs uh, and they would have a speaker on one end and the mic on the other end. And there's your stairwell reverb, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but if we get into that, and that's almost kind of like in a, in a way, a chamber reverb, because you're thinking about a specific chamber instead of a room and a chamber can be uh, sort of like a room, but not exactly. And it might be shaped funny. And that's how you would get a chamber reverb this is the same yeah. way I was just describing with the Frank Zappa method. You stick a speaker on one end and you mic or two on the other end and you pick up whatever the room or chamber is doing in between to the sound yeah. that comes out of the speaker. Yeah. Then the next one, we got the hall, which is like any gigantic room is essentially a yeah. hall. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the room chamber and hall are different sizes of the same, same idea. thing. Yeah. Same. Yeah. yeah. So, so, and then, then we get into another one, which is actually a physical thing as well. And if, that's also a very early thing because it, I think if I'm not mistaken, this originated on guitar amps. I believe so. Yes. Because uh, guitar players wanted to add a little reverby kind of thing. They'd just create a little chamber of springs on the amp encased in a little metal shell. Yeah. And, uh, it would which run the signal. Heard. Yeah, which we all heard if we bumped like an old amp and it goes, that, that's the spring. That's the, the spring reverb going off yeah. inside the amp when you dropped it a little hard or kicked it or what yeah. have you. So that that would be a, a general description for each of the types of reverbs right there. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, and then of course, IRs, as you alluded to, they're basically encompassing all, all of that. that. Yes. Yeah. With actual yeah. like mathematical models. Where you yeah. shoot a sound from one side and you pick it up with the math on the other and then you remove the whatever noise you yeah. use to create the reverberation in the first place. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. And uh, it's funny when you mention, um, you know, the stairwells and things that Altiverb used to do. Um, they frequently would do this in older studios. I was watching a documentary about Hansa Studios in, in Berlin, in Germany. Mm -hmm. And they also had part of the building that was a big stairwell that they frequently used and, you know, it, it would echo on forever type of thing, you know. Um, so I think that's also the same thing for, um, if we think of like the Bonham sort of drum sound. like where The, the levy breaks. breaks. You yeah. know, they had apparently set him somewhere in the house that they were recording in that had multiple floors that were open to the top somehow mm -hmm. and they set the mics way off in the distance and that's how he gets that gigantic drum sound for when the levee breaks is because the yeah. mics were just on way off in the distance right so yeah yeah um so there's all kinds of ways to get yourself big small gated well, we, I wouldn't necessarily call gated as a type of reverb because gating is essentially taking any particular reverb and once it hits a certain low point in the signal path, a gate just Shops comes in off. and shuts it off. So, yeah. And probably the most infamous use of gated reverb would be, as you mentioned earlier, the 80s. And mm -hmm. the Phil Collins, I can feel it in the air tonight, which has yep. had a resurgence as of late due to a couple uh -huh. of young guys who uh, do a <laughs> – 
YouTube thing where they're watching and listening and getting their reactions of listening to classic type songs or other just music in general, I guess. I've, I've, and, and they're really quite funny and entertaining to watch these guys. So, <laughs> and when that, when that drum thing kicks in, you just watch them like their eyes explode and they're like, whoa. So yeah. <laughs> Uh, gated reverb, big thing, big time in the eighties and, and yeah. maybe, may, maybe making a little bit of a comeback now. Yeah. It's that, those gated toms. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. every reverb comes with something, usually sure a few does. different kinds of controls. What are they? Well, the, the big three, I would say, or at least two, we're going to go through four here. But, um, the first thing is the, the decay time. Mm-hmm which would be how long the reverb actually ringing out for. Um, so if you want that giant hall sound, that's a longer thing. If you want just a little bit of a, a slap, if you will, just like, or a little bit of an ambience, you might dial that back a little bit, get it shorter. Um, just out of so, curiosity, talking about yeah. the decay time, because mm-hmm. usually it's it's talked about in matters of maybe – Milliseconds to seconds. Yeah, yeah. So it's generally not something ridiculously long. But I, I just thought of this question as mm-hmm. you were describing the concept of delay time or decay yeah. time. Sorry, not delay time. Um, what's the longest reverb you've ever used in a mix? Um, it would have to be something along the lines of like 10 to 20 seconds. Something 20 like seconds. Wow. Yeah. I think my something- longest is 11. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. No. <laughs> um, no. I. I. I don't know, but it's one of those like really long ones where it's like uh, you know it sounds like Taj Mahal, or you know there's the well another reverb I've mentioned later, uh, but um, some of the new stuff from like Black Hole from mm. Eventide and all this kind of stuff where yep. it just yeah more more of an effect type base that then placing it anywhere else. But, but yeah, probably something like that, but that would have been probably on a hit somewhere. Like it wouldn't have been, Oh, here's the, here's the snare, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> cause it, yeah, it's like a one off type of thing. Cause it's uh you do it as yeah. a one to like direct attention to that one thing. I understand. Yeah. All right, right. So that's decay time is like the length of how mm-hmm. long your reverb is continuing on after the sound has gone through it. Right. The next thing is pre-delay. Pre-delay. Which is the time before the reverb signal kind of kicks in, right? So there might be usually in milliseconds mm-hmm. kind of thing. We, we measure that. Sometimes we do that in sync with the music as well, which is something that I know you've been known to do. Yes, and um, we've, we've actually mentioned uh, a couple of reverbs in previous episodes that allow for being able to set based on the host tempo sync. Yeah, as opposed to doing the math yourself, but but just like quickly, just kind of syncing it. You can obviously just do the, you know, take the BPM and divide it by sixty, and you get you know. Mm-hmm. Well, a yes. There's a there's a very handy dandy website that's called the BPM calculator. <laughs> you could do that. <laughs> and as you, well. you just you hit that, and it just it gives you a whole list of tempos and what their values are in milliseconds for like quarter note, half note. Eighth note, sixteenth note, etc., all in a grid. So it makes it very easy. You don't yeah. have to go super hard with the brain anymore with that BPM calculator. Rem- 
Remember that episode when we talked about creating lazy engineers? Yes. <laughs> I, but who wants to do math when they're doing a mix? <laughs> Fair point. Fair point. All right. So that, that, the pre-delay is the amount of time when your signal hits the reverb front end before the reverb actually kicks in to do its thing. That's what pre-delay yeah. is. So right. you get that effect of like being near the object. The higher the pre-delay that you set – the more intimate the object's going to sound before the reverb starts to whoosh in, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And that is something also that it doesn't necessarily have to be a super audible thing, but just using a little bit of pre-delay, let's say on a vocal, it can certainly increase clarity when we're doing that. So it doesn't completely smudge it right off the bat. You get a little bit of that clarity before the, the beautiful um, tail kicks in. Provided so it's a beautiful tail you're using. <laughs> yes, that, that's, that's an assumption. Because there are point. some reverbs that you can do or use to make things sound very nasty. Absolutely, if that's what you need. Hey, you know, whatever suits the, the production. Program dependent. Take a swing. Yes. <laughs> next week or next week, next, next thing we go into is diffusion. Diffusion. So maybe maybe you can describe diffusion a little diffusion bit. Diffusion is mm -hmm. the number of reflections that you're going to get within the room or area that you're using to create your reverb effect uh -huh. is diffusion. So uh, some reverbs will describe that as the number of walls. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is, I, I think that's the most apt way of saying it. Um, the other thing is, is that diffusion can relate to the, the amount of damping that you have in various frequency ranges in the spectrum. Because you can damp for your low end, you can damp for your high end and have something that could be very woolly if it's damped in the high end but not the low end. You could have something very bright and airy that is damped in the low end and not in the high end. And all of that relates to the diffusion of the room. Yeah, I think from the way I tend to think of that is um, a little bit more on the EQ end. But when it comes to diffusion, I guess it could be helpful to look at it as – the higher the diffusion, the more sort of smeary, yes, yeah, the reverb would be. It, Which is instead the more of, of like, yeah, because it's bouncing off everywhere, right? And yep. so instead of it being sort of like a clean, just almost like an echoey type of a thing, right? It, it becomes just a, a blend of, of bouncing around. So um, that that's diffusion to me, and and again, depending on what you want there, but it could give. Perhaps a little bit more of a of a natural sound, it, unless you're going for a super echoey kind of thing. It just kind of that, that's the way I tend to think of it. Sure, I could be wrong. <clears throat> well, I guess it uh, shape comes into play when you're talking about how natural it's going to sound in mm -hmm. that regard, because a cave can have a lot of diffusion but still have a very very distinct echo. So. Yeah. That, that's not quite the same thing. But if you're talking about rooms, rooms are very, like, defined in terms of architecture, and you will know <laughs> how many Generally. walls are in there. <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, the number of walls is, is generally how I would think of diffusion and how they're angled. It creates the way they're going to bounce off of each other, which creates that amount of smear that you're talking about. Yeah. So the more diffusion there is, the less – 
defined, the less focal the reverb is and the more just washed, yeah. uh, I guess, is a good uh, – Maybe not. The you almost kind of need to but, hear it to, to really yeah, kind of grab you. You really but, do need to have an example to understand it. But if you have two walls and they're bouncing off each other, it's more like you might have an echo depending on how far away they are from each yeah. other. But if you have Generally seven walls, <laughs> then and they are all faced slightly different, like an oct, you know, a, a septagon. I guess is what it would be if it's a seven-walled environment. Uh, they're going to bounce at each other in different ways, and the way the signals are going to cross paths are going to just get a lot more uh, discombobulated rather than very uniform. And that discombobulation mm-hmm. is what creates the extra diffusion, is what they call that. So. Yep. And as I was kind of describing before, how things are damped within the environment is, as you were saying, maybe a little bit more controlled with EQ. However, mm-hmm. if you're in a real room and you're damping with things such as like the thing I've got behind me and the things that you have behind you, which are sound baffles, mm-hmm. they will control certain aspects of the sound to reduce the amount of slap and echo and diffusion that's going on in the room. So, and that's kind of an EQ thing. It's a manual EQ from a hardware standpoint of like physical changing of the room. But in EQ terms inside of a reverb and you're using EQ, you can control the way the reverb's going to come back at you in your mix using mm-hmm. EQ. And some will have a pre-EQ and a post-EQ and some will not. Yeah. And if they don't, don't be afraid to put an EQ on after your reverbs. Or before it, it. Or before it, yeah. Or before That's right. Before don't be or after. Or both. Yeah. Both. Sometimes both. So, yeah. It's it, it's a beautiful world. We can do just about anything, right? <laughs> so, but, but, but <laughs> we, it is, we've got the technology. Yeah. But, but um, EQing reverbs is something that um, I don't want to say I recently started doing, but but – when I first started out doing this type of stuff, I, for whatever reason, it didn't enter my mind that you should EQ your reverbs. Shame on you. I know, <laughs> no, right? There was horrible. a time, I think that goes for everybody. I don't think there's a point where any mixed person is actually like, yeah, you know what? I, I've been using EQ the entire time. Doesn't yeah. matter. I knew it from the get-go. Bullshit. Somebody <laughs> taught you to do that and they gave yeah. you an explanation as to why. And the why is, is that you're trying to control the vibe and the environment of the reverb and how it's mm-hmm. affecting the mix. And if you have something that's a very dark kind of sound that's down here or covered up and you're running it through another really dark reverb, that's going to affect the mix and it might make your low end or your low mids really woolly and sound awful coming out of most speakers. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you have a sound like this and you want it to sound like it's got some space and you EQ all this area out and you just let the high end of the reverb flow through, you, mm-hmm. you'll give it a little definition of where it is in your mix. So there's a good reason to be using EQ, but this is yeah. not necessarily the episode that we're going to discuss for all of that. And before we move on to our next bit of discussion about reverb, we're going to take a moment for our sponsor. And now we're going to get into the uses of reverb. And you're nice. going to kick it off because you're going to tell us what. Well, I'd say the first use that I think most of us kind of think about is to kind of sweeten up a sound to make it sound more pleasant. 
Like if you add, uh, so are you trying to equate reverb to sugar? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Or honey or molasses or brown sugar or whatever it is. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Oh um, man. What if we started making references to reverb as the different types of sugar? What kind of reverb (laughs) is sweet and low? Yeah. uh, (laughs) Sorry. I'm I'm not even going to go there. (laughs) Uh, Not to be confusing, but this is the sweet and low of reverbs. Yeah. Um, It'll give you cancer. But but, don't listen. But the the most obvious thing is, I think, for vocals, right? Mm -hmm. Um, There's, we can get something to sound like very intimate by not having any reverb on it. It can be very aggressive, very in your face. But if somebody is, singing, let's say that you have more of a, of a ballady type of thing, uh, not to lean on the eighties here too much, but, but you, you might have a nice plate on that to fill out spaces and it's just, Oh, it's sweeter. It, it just sounds nicer. Gigantic. Uh, yeah. It could be gigantic. And all those, you know, mixes in the eighties where everything was so wet, we needed to listen with snorkels on. <laughs> so, um, that's but, a funny uh, reference. I like it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that would be the first go-to thing. And it could be drastic. It could be just very subtle. Like mm-hmm. um, one thing that I do quite a bit is, you know, in my mix template, go back to last week. And yes, last week's episode. I, I tend to have, to- yeah, I tend to have a um, ambience type of, of reverb. Yes, you uh, said it, that's actually in your template. Yeah, like it's, it's in my template. There. And so it's usually like just a, a small room just to create some ambience. And sometimes I will just send a little bit of guitar to that, just enough that if you mute it, you you would hear that it was gone, but not enough to like, ooh, that's a lot of reverb on the guitars. But it can just kind of emulate that a little bit of the – the guitar actually being in a certain space while it's being recorded, even if I'm, you know, DIing or using, um, you you're know, creating um, that artificial environment for where things are sitting in a mix as so yeah, placing the it, audio in space, using some reverb to give it that dynamic feel. Right. Which brings us into the next point, why we would use reverb, uh, which would be placing the audio in a specific space. Like, you yes. Mentioned. So, so what, what are some examples how you might do that or how you might go about thinking about th- those issues? Uh, do you mean thinking about the issue of like creating the space? Yeah. Or what, what sort of like creative choices would you make doing that? What would you think about, you know, Oh, I'm, I'm trying to put this into my vocal. I want it to be in this kind of space. Do you, would you normally go for like a hall? Would you go for just a room? What, what how would you, some of those artistic decisions that you do when you're, when you're mixing. Okay. Or do you even think about that? Oh, no, no. I, 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 I very much think about this stuff. I'm just trying to think of like how not to suddenly go off for two hours about it. Um, <laughs> the idea of the type of reverb that I'm going to use, and I, I'm going to go back to an example of an artist that I was recording last year. And the song was called Divine Intervention. Okay. And it's one of those, it's, it's where I used the longest reverb I've ever used with a single effect 
uh, of 11 seconds on a reverb. And it was on a, a particular vocal. And it had to do with a very soaring high feel of a vocal that she had done. Mm-hmm. And I wanted that to just kind of carry out for as long as I could, because most people are going to think of divineness as this lovely area in heaven or whatever, what have you, that it needs to sound very rich and full, but without overtaking everything that is going on. Right. And so I used this very light reverb with an extremely long tail of 11 seconds to carry out that vocal as the next line came in. So it's an instance, as you're saying, you use it as an effect in one spot. Now, generally speaking, for those who have seen me work with certain pop productions on the vocals, they're going to see probably uh, upwards of possibly 10, 12 different types of reverbs and delays. And we're not really talking about delays today, all going on for very specific points in a song, but that, Hmm. but I'm going off about what would be a pop production because I'm creating multiple things to create the one space that it really is. I'm using multiple things to create that space. Sometimes it's multiple reverbs where I might take just the front end of one reverb and mix it with the middle of another reverb and the tail of a third reverb, all for one section of the song for one particular portion of the vocal, whether, you know, the lead vocal, generally speaking. So I'm really into creating a space by shoehorning multiple different things together to do it. But the effect in doing so creates such a stable environment for the vocal that gives it its own unique character because you're using three different things and combining them into this one thing or more because I'm mentioning also delays and other effects that I might throw in there to give each section of a song. And this is just for pop, mind you. I don't do this for everything, but for big pop productions to give the vocal Mm -hmm. like its own thing so that it's not like anybody else's environment for their vocal. So that's an instance where I'm creating the space myself. And that's an extreme effect in that regard, as, right. as, as it might be mentioned. Even though it doesn't sound extreme, it's very extreme in that I'm not just using something off the shelf to create the – using one thing to create the environment. Now, there are other times when I'm doing something that does not require that kind of quote-unquote precision to the sound where I'm just using a stock reverb for whatever reason to give a, an approximation of that environment so that it has that spatial feel. So generally speaking for a vocal though, as you mentioned earlier, you want that clarity. So the pre-delay is going to be some, and and a lot of the time for me, that pre-delay is based on the tempo. No Mm -hmm. ifs, ands, or buts about it so that it becomes a very rhythmic thing and it flows and you can keep that vibe flowing. What's the longest pre-delay that you would tend to use? Would you go as far as like a 16th note or? Oh yeah, yeah. I've done that. Yeah. Yeah. 16th note. And and that's pretty, I mean, that's pretty extreme, but I've done it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Depending um, on tempo, of course. Depending on tempo and what the song is calling for. Now, in terms of like what you were talking about with guitars and other things, yes, I will use different types of reverbs to create the individual space for where that instrument is in a mix. Okay. Uh, So outside, outside of the lead vocal, then you, it sounds like you're, then you, you're a little bit more concerned, like, okay, I want this 
to sound like, let's say, the band, if there is a band, mm -hmm. is playing in a certain space. And the, I'm assuming that would be more often than not uh, a room type of a thing. Could be, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. So, all right. Yeah. Th I think that answered my question anyway in this sense, <laughs> how you think about if you're – because there are different schools of thought on this, right? Sure. Where you think, okay, well, I want it to be um, a cohesive sound where, you know, I want it to sound like these, you know, up to six players or however many there are are performing in the same place. Well, that when you're doing that and you're like you're discussing the concept of how the mix goes with the artist or the band or whoever you're doing the mix for, that that becomes part of the discussion is like do you guys want to sound like this cohesive unit in that you're all playing together in one thing and it wasn't recorded that way um or you know again like I said pop is a very different beast. Because yeah. it requires, an, in my mind, a very different mindset of how you're going to approach using reverb. And it becomes a lot more prof professor-like is not exactly the way I would go about it. But it becomes of like every individual element has its own thing that helps the pop song propel itself. And, and if they're all in the same environment, it, it may not necessarily be propelling because it becomes a oneness and it's not moving the song. And pop tends to have this desire to have a whole bunch of different flavors to it to make it sound like there's interesting things going on all the time, at least to me. Yeah. Yeah, um, no, I think but that, we, that's true. I mean, we, we can go on. That would probably be two or three podcasts if we go on about the, the philosophy of all that kind of stuff as well, I think. But right. those are all valid points. But I think to to sort of boil it down there, where when you're talking about a pop production as and opposed the to of just reverb, a straight up rock song. Or or let's say that you have like a jazz quartet or something. Well, where that, that's it's very simplistic. As you're talking one room reverb right there and everybody's gotta yeah, have their distance so in the pre -delay. Right. Where whereas was pop perhaps is and, you know, uh, for want of a better phrase, it's it might be less about sounding real and genuine. Yes. But, but, but it's more about sounding as pretty and as good as possible. Sure. You know, or interesting and, might be a better word to, to yeah. use. But, but it's a different animal. So, um, But now we get into another point here, just so we can kind of move on here. But um, another one is to use, like you mentioned, the 11 second type of reverb as an extreme effect. Sure. We're not concerned about making it sound, oh, yeah, it sounds like he's got his amp turned up to 11 in this <laughs> wooden room. This is a different beast, right? And right. how we use those are, you know, quite different. Where Where we have that 11 second reverb, it's to fill sort of – and an emotional palette in the song, I think, right? Sure. If it, if it's an effect. And, uh, so at least me, I think that's when we can get a little bit more, uh, heavy handed with the reverb perhaps, as opposed to having it sit just so to make it sound really, really pretty. Um, but, but that's my view on extreme effects anyway. So that, yep. that's, you know, whether it's, let's say that you're doing more, uh, cinematic stuff and you got these big, hits and things going on it it needs to have that big yep. you know and long reverbs could be the order of the day there um but, speaking uh, of that i actually i remember doing a, a trailer <laughs> for an adventure yeah. movie and you have these giant taiko drums yeah just, boom, you hit it and the reverb just keeps going it's pretty cool anyway yeah um <clears throat> how much or how little reverb 
how do you how do you determine that? Um, the way I tend to do it is relatively simple. But again, this is something that I kept hearing, and mm-hmm. I was like, "Yeah, whatever, reverb it sounds <laughs> awesome." But when you do it that way, just like it, it's very very easy to overdo, and your mixes can because of it. Um, well, they get lost. Of, yeah, they get lost, and it can sound. I think loaded word, and I really don't want to say, but, but your mixes end up sounding amateurish if you have too much reverb in there. That's now not, that, you know, that's not a bad terminology for that. Uh, I, I, I could go with that. I can, yeah. If you're using yeah, too because, much reverb, oftentimes it does make a mix sound amateur. I yeah, agree with that. Right. So one thing that I tend to do, and if it's just a, um, let's say that it's a lead vocal. Right. Um, I like to have that sweetening on there. I do. But then, you know, once I kind of dial in the type of reverb that I want, I will tend to bring it down so that it's noticeable. But it's even more noticeable if I just mute it. It feels like something goes away. Yeah. Um, the space, the vibe, the, the, it, yeah. It's just like, whoops, but, but it's if gone. you get it, it's almost like you pull it down until as much as you can get away with, so to speak, while still feeling that emotional impact. Um, but that, like we always say, that it's always content dependent. Yes. Right? It completely depends on what type of song it is, what type of performance it is. But um, generally, I like to err on too little? having too little <laughs> as opposed to too much. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's that fine line between uh, professional and amateur right there. Is that what you're saying? But what if it's too uh, no, little? Because if it's too little, it might be too dry, and that it might also sound amateur. So you, you got absolutely. a very small but I think, section in the middle where you get to that pro level, I guess, right? Yeah, but, but those are also say? just kind of like those are just taste decisions. They I are think, taste when you decisions. do that, right. right? So it's like how spicy do you like your pasta? You know, well. You know, that, that's up for maybe up for discussion. I, I, might, right? I might think about that in regards to sushi or or uh, Mexican food. I never really think about how spicy my pasta is. Well, I, I do like um, my arabiata sauce, which uh, is which will be another podcast coming up after this one. <laughs> now, um, but um, but then what I like, some people might say that well, that's not spicy enough, or they go, oh, that's that's way too much. You know, yeah. so the same thing goes for reverb here, right? I think. Um, but the song will generally call out for whatever. Um, Please tell me how much reverb to use by telling me what to do. Yeah. So, I would uh, say it, if you're wondering, though, on that, just to wrap that that part up, it's like bring it down so that you can't hear it and then just kind of inch it up. And when you start hearing it, chances are you, you might be in the ballpark unless it's one of those effect type of reverbs that, that we're talking about. Right. Um, so, in that regard, what are your favorite reverb plugins? What like as you, what's your go to? Um, I like Liquid Sonic stuff. Uh, Liquid the Sonic. That, that sounds very yeah. sexy, right there. Doesn't it though? Mm. Um, it sounds like reverb. Two, <laughs> yeah, just by the name. I have. Well, I have two that I tend to go to that are again part of the Slate bundle. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is called the Verb Suite Classics, and that is based on IRs, where it emulates all the old hardware, like the you know the Lexicons and, and 
Sony's and the Bricostis and all this kind of stuff. Um, I like that a lot. There's a lot of controls, like the things that we've talked about, like pre-delays, there's EQ on them. There's it's even chorusing on there to kind of smear it a little bit. You can control the width. There's a lot of stuff that I really, really like that. Mm. Um, the That's sort of like my workhorse reverb, I think. Um, they also have a plugin called Lustrous Plates, which is sounds like it would be plates, right? And it is. Um, same thing there. With a couple of different types of plates, uh, EQs involved in that. So those are my main go-to ones. But um, I do like Logic Space Designer. Mm-hmm. I, I when, As a matter of fact, when, when I got these ones, I thought, well, I already have Space Designer. I'm probably not going to use this. But uh, turns out I was wrong again. <laughs> uh, so you like I the workflow it. of the Liquisonics is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. And it's one of those things where I have maybe like a handful or so that I tend to go to that are always just kind of working. Uh, so if it ain't broke, why fix it type of thing. I, I So I like those. But I do like um, – um, I like – like I said, uh, Space Designer, and the ones that are for more effect type of, of plugins. I mentioned before as one of those uh, Friday finds, I picked the the Round plugin by Native Instruments. I think that one's cool. Uh, Valhalla Reverbs have some great stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not as big of a user as the Chromoverb as I know you are, well, but um, I do like the, the Neoverb. I like that one, mm. Isotope. Yes. And... Um, the, I mentioned them again and again, but the, the Eventide reverbs for more effect type of stuff, it's absolutely brilliant. Mm. So, um, yeah, that, that was a lot. That was a long list. Huh? <laughs> yeah, you kind of went off yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, I got very excited. But what about you? What, what, what are your... Um, it depends on what I'm mixing in. If I'm mixing in Logic, it's one set. If I'm mixing in Luna, it's another. Sure. And generally speaking, if I'm mixing in Logic, more often than not, I'm reaching for that space designer mm-hmm. because it, it works in two different ways. You can use it with IRs and you can use it al- algorithmically. So it, it, it's very, very handy, capable reverb is Logic's space designer. Now, aside from that, depending on the instrument or vocal, uh, Vocally speaking, a very good deal of time I'm using the Lexicon 224 mm-hmm. because that just – man, I don't know what it is about that sound, but it just defines vocals in such a wonderful way. <laughs> so it's very rare that I don't use that on a vocal. Very rare. For – in recent times, Neoverb has become another reverb that has really gone up the ladder of like, I will just grab that because it's quick, it's easy, it has an AI that works very well if you want to just try something out. Uh, Yeah. And it sounds good. And it (laughs) it sounds good on top of that, which is a really nice thing. Um, Another one that I tend to go to when it comes to logic is not Chromaverb. I do use that on occasion. (laughs) Don't always mm-hmm. use that. But uh, 
Shimmer Verb is also climbing the top of my list for a lot of things. And it's a little bit beyond a normal reverb. And it's an yeah. eventide reverb. But yep. it does some really wonderful things when it comes to the concept of what you can do. And the idea of Shimmer is, is a very aptly named. Yeah. When it comes to mixing in Luna, I will often use the Mix IR plugin to load impulse responses of reverbs that I want. If I know the impulse response, whether it's a recreation of the Bricasti because there's some impulse responses of Bricasti or if I was a specific hall or room that I want, I will load it into the mix IR to use it that way. Um, but on the Luna side, also still sticking with the 224. Yeah. Uh, and Neoverb climbing up those charts. So, uh, But what I don't get is Space Designer. And that, unfortunately, is something that – uh, I miss and, and I hate that, <laughs> that, it's, <laughs> that it's logic only. And I, I have to miss that. That's like the real bummer to me, you know? Yeah. Um, so the, but you, the, a lot of the, the even tied ones are very good in terms of, as you said, the effects effects because they're effects more yeah. than they are strict straight up reverbs, but they mm -hmm. do have some great, straight up reverbs like the yeah. sp2 the sp2016 really nice room thing that allows you to move up to three mics around in that room to create yourself a very very different visual based on where you place those mics and whether or not you use all three or two or one of them so if you want something really real that's a really nice reverb to use in a in a realistic type setting right yeah. so yeah. So I think that's where I would cut it off because I could just start going on more and more about it. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm with you on that. It, it's because uh, there's so many, you know, aspects to it, right? Why we would use it. But I find myself, at least at this point, I find myself with a mindset of I have a few that I really like and I tend to reach for those more often than not, much as I, I tend to go through the same thing, whether it's EQs or compressors, that I'm sticking with this right now and I'm doing them the best I can. And then when I feel like they don't suit me anymore, I'll explore other ones. Sure. Um, so, yeah. Are we, are we wrapping the bow on this at this point now? I think we should wrap the. Bowl we should on this. move on. We should. It's Friday finds time now. So, Chris, we would like you to kick off our Friday finds. Tell us what you found this week. I well, I started working with it this week. I, I believe it was last week, and it actually came out. Um, but it's the uh, LA two A emulation if, in Slate. Slate. Yeah, we actually Slate have a, came yeah, out with the LA two A, and it sounds awesome. It's really, really good. It's, um, yeah, I'll, I'll show you sometime. It's just so really are you now good. singing the praises of the LA-2A again? Like, no, because I, like I said, I, that's a, that's a go-to for me for a lot of things. Yeah. You know what? I've, I've, in the past I have used them. Um, but I think that with this one, I'm probably going to start exploring different avenues of using them more. Let's mm. put it that way. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I'm happy I have one. Again, I didn't think I was going to be like, oh, yeah, really <laughs> missed that. But, again, same thing with the reverbs, right? But, but yeah, the, the uh, FG2A um, from Slate is awesome. It has to be my pick. Uh, 
Woo-hoo! What about you? I'm going with something very similar to uh, either last week or the week before. Uh, this week, I'm going to mention Session Wire. Mm. And Session Wire, especially in the era of things in your neck of the woods, like you're getting a new lockdown, um, thanks yeah. to the pandemic, uh, and where other people are still adhering to good health practices, to work with people from a distance from one studio to another session wire provides something that is kind of like the combination of a couple of other things in that you have video feed mm-hmm. and the ability to do talk back from one another through that video feed. In addition to that, they have a plugin that goes into your DAW and that plugin allows you to get audio like audio movers. Nice. So, you know, the session wire thing is, is a really cool way to have distance sessions and to stream in that audio. Uh, I do believe that, uh, it's going to take over the market in that regard because it works. It's, 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 yeah, (laughs) it's very, it's very cool what you can do with it. It, It's pretty darn wild. Yeah, so, no, what you were telling me just before we start typing, it sounds really, really cool and really, really intriguing. So, yeah, session wire. Yeah, session wire. So there it is. And while we still have your attention, we are going to, again, implore you to go to the website and leave us a review at this point at insidetherecordingstudio.com forward slash review. Or you can just go to insidetherecordingstudio.com and sign up for the email list. In addition to that, you could also go to inside the recording studio forward slash gift. I'm throwing out all these damn URLs. It's going to get confusing. Uh, either way, anyone, if you sign up on the email list, you get a nice little gift from Chris and I. And then you'll start getting some emails and we'll tell you some stuff about our history and other things that you may or may not want to know. <laughs> <laughs> and if you remember earlier at the top of the episode, we were talking about a number based on a song by Steve Vai put out on his Passion and Warfare album, the Gold Star at Insta. Uh, Email us at goldstar at insidetherecordingstudio.com with the word or the number, I should say, that Chris mentioned at the top of the episode. I don't want to say it now because then you have to go back and rewind and figure out what it is. Or num- tell us which mix it was that's, that they released on the Passion and Warfare album. And as you can tell at the beginning of this episode, we mentioned somebody who came to us and said, hey, talk about this particular thing. And that was Chris Bjorn. And he suggested a topic to us and look, lo and behold, here it is. Our first episode that was suggested as a topic. Anyway, um, email us, contact us, let us know. Uh, maybe even tell us whether or not you think we're doing a good or bad job. (laughs) 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 We'll, we'll be, we'll be, we'll, we'll be okay. We can handle it. Anyway, with that, I'm going to say, see you on Tuesday for the Tuesday tip. Oh, we didn't mention what the Tuesday tip was going to be this week, but it must be something about setting reverb stuff. That's what I would think. The Tuesday tip will be reverb stuff this coming sounds, Tuesday. Sounds like a plan. Yep. Yeah. Sounds appropriate enough. So, and until then, we will see you next week. Have a good one. You too, Jody. Take care.